You are listening to the podcast of Richland Hills Baptist Church. We are located in Richland Hills, Texas. Our desire here is to believe, live, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you're listening to our podcast today, if you have any questions, you can find us on the web at richlandhillsbc.com. God bless you. Open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 13. And we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11, John 13. And as you open to John 13 this morning, you will see, and maybe the title of that your Bible puts in there, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. This is an account that many of you will be familiar with. Maybe you've read about it heard many a sermon on it, whatever. But this week and next week, we're going to consider the washing of the disciples' feet by Jesus, and we're going to look at it closely. We're going to look at it in the theological concept, the theological truths that come out of it, as well as the practical implications from the text. This fits into, last week, we looked at the idea of service. The idea as Christians that we are called to serve one another. We serve people in this world, a general sort of service. There's a Christian service that we all should have, and then there is a particular type of service, appointed service, pastors and deacons and whatnot. And so we saw this idea that we're called to serve. So this For the next two weeks, I want us to look in the life of Jesus, and I want us to see what what does it really look like? What did it look like when Jesus served? What was that practically? How did that happen? Now, one of the texts of Scripture we used last week was found in Philippians chapter 2. It's going to speak of the humbling of Jesus. This morning we'll see it. We'll see it very specifically. So let us read together. Read along in your Bible. John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand. 
now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. May we see and understand what love, true love that we, Lord, as your followers, we can live out in this world. Help us to understand the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You see in this passage a few things that we have to look at contextually. This takes place in the last week of Jesus' life. The Passion Week, you may know. This is after the Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry. It's in this last week that we read about, even in the other accounts, that Jesus is going to have this Last Supper with His disciples. And so it's here in this moment that, that Jesus is going to speak to them and explain some things to them. But I want you to notice a few things in your Bible. So if you have a, you can mark a few things. There's one particular theological thing that you need to see. When Jesus said, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, his hour had come, underline that. In the Gospel of John, the phrase, hour had come, is, is very important. In fact, you see it used several times in the Bible, in John specifically. You see it in the negative, and then you also see it in the positive. What do I mean by that? In the Jesus' very first miracle that we see in the Gospel of John, the wedding at Cana. And you see there that Jesus' mother, she comes to him, she's telling him the dilemma. And Jesus says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. What does that mean? His hour has not yet come. In fact, you see that in several places. But then, in John chapter 12, in John chapter 12, then we see that his hour had come. And Jesus says that in John chapter 12. So up until John 12, his hour had not come, and then John 12, his hour had come, and then in John 13, he also again is going to say that he knew his hour had come. What does John mean? When John uses that phrase, the hour had come, he's speaking, he's speaking there of the death, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, his glorification, 
And then Jesus being at the right hand of the Father. So it's the whole thing. So the hour is the time when Jesus would die on the cross, rise again, he'd be glorified, and he'd be at the right hand of the Father. It's the work of Jesus. So the hour is when the work of Jesus would culminate into what all this world, all this sin-soaked world has needed. It's the hour. The hour of great love and great sacrifice. And so Jesus, he knew that this had come. He knew that this time of suffering would come. He knew that the cross was coming. But he also knew that it would be a time of his own glorification. And so it's there that this hour this hour that Jesus chose to teach his disciples. And think about it. Jesus knows what is coming. He, he understands all the things that are about to happen. And it's in this moment that Jesus is going to teach his disciples what love is going to look like. In the first part of John, from chapter 1 to chapter 12... Some of the key words that would be there would be light and life. John speaks about light, Jesus being light, and life. In John 13 onward, do you know what one of the key words John uses from Jesus' mouth? Love. You see, when the hour had come, now Jesus is going to speak about love. Because the hour when Jesus would die on the cross is the greatest act of love of all time, past, present, and future. And so it's here that Jesus is speaking. He's saying, listen, this is what love is going to look like. But I also want you to see something. He's also going to teach his disciples, this is how you're going to love. Here's the thing, Jesus showed his love perfectly by dying on the cross. We can't die on a cross for other people's sins, can we? We can't love people that way, can we? Only Jesus could. But Jesus says, I'm going to show you something that you can do. That's where we get into the washing of the feet. But I want you to consider this main idea this morning, this main point it's a little long, but I want you to think about it and consider it. We can leave it on the screen for a moment if you want to write it down. Jesus, God in the flesh, took a most humiliating task to show what God's love should look like in this world and to foreshadow His ultimate act of love on the cross. This humiliating, this humbling task He's going to show this is what love looks like. But it's also going to be here that this whole account, I want you to see this, it's going to point forward to what Jesus is going to do. Now, another phrase I want you to see here when he speaks about love, I want you to underline, he loved them to the end. He knew his hour had come. And it says he's, he having loved these own, who were in the world. He loved these disciples. He loved these followers. And it says he loved them to the end. I love that. 
That phrase there could also be, he loved them, he showed them the full extent of love, or he loved them to the fullest. Well, I like this one, he loved them to the limit. He loved his disciples. John said, listen, he, he loved them. Jesus loved his disciples to the, to the end, to the limit, to the full. Not a half-hearted love, not a weak love, not a love that's based on them loving them back, not a reciprocal love, but a true sacrificial love. He loved them to the end. Now, I want you to think about something. I want you to consider this. The Bible says that Jesus is God in the flesh. In the Gospel of John, we see that quite a bit. Jesus is God in the flesh. And then in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says that God is love. So Jesus, God in the flesh. God is love. So Jesus is love incarnate, as one of our Christmas hymns says. Jesus is love incarnate. Jesus is love personified. Jesus is love. So as Jesus was here on this earth, He was perfect love displayed. So everything that Jesus did, everything that He taught, was a full expression of love. You and I do not fully express love in all that we do and say, do we? Is every act, every word of our lips, is that soaked in perfect love? No, it's not. But Jesus, everything that he did and taught was an expression of love. Because why? Because God is love. And Jesus is love. In fact, even when Jesus is turning over the tables in the temples, that's love. Everything that Jesus did was dripping with God's love. So I want you to consider that and think about everything that he does, even in this moment, he is displaying love. But what's amazing about that is that Jesus is going to display this love in a moment. He is going to be sitting very near to one that was going to give him up, that was going to betray him. Now our love, as much as we say otherwise, is often very conditional, isn't it? We love people that are easy to love. We love people that love us. We love people that are kind. But when somebody hurts us or harms us, we do not find it easy to love them, do we? Of course not. We're called to, but we don't do it often. But Jesus here, He knows that He is going to be betrayed. He knows that the devil has been into the hearts of Judas Iscariot. But yet he's going to love. 
He said, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And in this moment, Jesus, he knows all that the Father had given him into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Jesus, again, God in the flesh, God had given, the Father had given everything into his hands. He knew and understood this moment. He was going back to the Father. But he wants to teach them yet. Do you love people well who hate you? Think about somebody in your life that doesn't like you. I know you're all likable, I know. But surely there's somebody that doesn't like you. There's people that don't like me. It's just the the way of life. Do you find yourself loving them? Mostly not, right? And Jesus is going to love. So Jesus, he gets up. He rises from the supper. He takes his outer garments, puts them to the side. He takes a towel and he ties it around his waist. And then he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now now listen, they're not sitting at a table. They're reclining. They're laying down. When they would eat a supper like that, they would lay. They would, they would lay like this. And they would eat like this, so they'd be laying down, so the feet would be behind them. It wouldn't be like a chair that we picture. So Jesus comes behind his disciples as they're laying down, reclining and eating. And he begins to wash their feet. He begins to get all the dirt off. Now, for us, in our time, this doesn't fully make sense. I know you've heard sermons on this, but foot washing in the ancient world was a sign of great love and respect. The dusty roads of Palestine would cause a person's feet. They didn't have the shoes that we have, sandals. Dirt would get on them, they would get very dusty, and when they would come into someone's home, they would wash their feet. But it wasn't the master that would wash their feet, it wasn't the owner of the house that would wash their feet, it would be a slave. It would be a lowly person. It would be a Gentile slave, or unfortunately it would be ladies, but it would, be, it would not be the master. So many times it'd be the the slave, the slave would come and the slave would wash a person's feet. And this is important because you consider what Jesus is doing. Now imagine with me. Imagine the President of the United States or some other world leader. Some senator, somebody that has very important. Imagine they go to a local elementary school 
No cameras, no press, nothing like that. And they begin a job every day, or let's say maybe once a week, they begin to be the janitor of a local elementary school. They're cleaning the bathrooms. And if you've been in the bathroom of an elementary school, you know that's a job. They're cleaning toilets. This, this president, again, no press, nobody can write about it, and there's no, no cameras, they're not doing it, they can't do it for their own you know, esteem. Every week, this very important person, they come and they, they put on the gloves and they begin to wash the toilets, they mop the floor, they get the crusted milk off the chairs. And I just saw that recently. That's a true thing. They began to wipe the fingerprints off the windows. Again, no. They don't get anything out of it. Nobody knows. That'd be astonishing, right? Hey, I think that's a good idea, by the way. Maybe we should make our people, leaders, do that. But imagine how, how astonishing, I mean, somebody that has so much power, so much opportunity to do anything they need to, and yet they would be condescending themselves to this lowly position in comparison. Now, it's important. These, I'm glad we have people that clean schools. But it, again, for a president to do in that seems vastly different. And in ways that are multiplied by a million, Jesus, God of the universe, is taking the role of a servant. That's exactly what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2, isn't it? So he takes on this role of a, of a servant. Now, a teacher should not do this. So he begins to wash their feet. Peter's looking, he's looking around, maybe the other disciples, maybe they don't care, Jesus is washing their feet, Peter's eyeing it all suspiciously, and he sees what's happening, he says, you wash my feet? Now that wasn't a question in the sense of Will you wash my feet? It was almost a statement. You think you're washing my feet? Jesus, you're not washing my feet. Jesus said, look, you don't understand what I'm doing. You'll understand later. Peter says, listen, you're not washing my feet. In his mind, he's thinking, how could this be? He's the teacher. He's the rabbi. He's the, he's the one that we follow. This is not his role. This is, and this is a shameful thing. Remember, it would be a shameful thing. Shame was very important in this culture. Saying, listen, this would be, this would be shameful for a teacher to take the task of a, a slave. Like, what kind of teacher would this be? 
Maybe they would experience shame because of this. He said, this, no, no, this is all wrong. You can't do this, Jesus. No, this isn't right. And Jesus says something. And now we're going to transition, I believe, from a purely physical thing that's happening into some spiritual elements. So I want you to see there's still going to be a practical thing happening. And now there's going to be spiritual theological concepts in here. He says, listen, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And then Peter says something so funny. Hey, well if, you're, well, if that's the case, then wash me, my whole body. Give me a shower, if that's the case. So what's happening here? What, what does this mean? I believe that here we begin to see the symbolic nature in how this love that Jesus is going to display is going to connect with his sacrificial love and the work of the cross. You see here, I believe that as we read this passage, this washing also connects with the spiritual cleansing that you and I can experience through Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. When you believe, when you trust in Jesus, when you say, Jesus, I believe and I trust in you, there is a spiritual cleansing that takes place. All the sin, past, present, and future, you are cleansed from that sin. There's so spiritual cleansing that takes place. That's salvation. You're sinful, I'm sinful, we are unclean, we are dirty with sin, and through Jesus we can have cleansing. And I believe that's part of what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, Peter, if I don't wash you, if you, if you don't follow me in obedience, and again, part of our trusting in Jesus is following Him in obedience as our Lord. Saying, listen, Peter, if, if, if you don't follow me, if you don't obey me, then you have no part with me. If you're not cleansed from your sin, you cannot spend eternity with me. Peter, if you are still in your sin, if you are still dirty with sin, you will stay there and you will not have inheritance with me. And he's, Peter, I don't think, fully gets it yet. But this also, I believe, shows us the once and for all nature of what happens in salvation. Did you see what Jesus said? Peter, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. It's completely clean. He's saying, listen, once you are cleansed, once you are cleansed from your sin, you don't need to keep being cleansed. Now I want you to see something here. Once you trust in Jesus, you are cleansed from your sin eternally, past, present, and future. You are cleansed from your sin. 
You are free from that eternal dirt that is on us, if you will. We are clean. We are righteous. We are new in Jesus Christ. But I believe, and some commentators point this out, and I follow it too, that there are times. She says, listen, once you're bathed, you don't need to wash except for your feet. That while we are clean from our eternal dirt, that as we live this life, as we walk in this world, even Christians, we sometimes get the dirt of the world on us, don't we? We sin. We mess up. We try to avoid the dirt, but we walk in the mud pit sometimes. He said, well, pastor, you said you're, you're eternally clean. You don't need this cleansing over and over. You don't need to come forward every Sunday and ask for forgiveness in terms of Jesus. I believe you. You're my Savior. Like you did, you've done that. But what we do ask for forgiveness from is the continual sin, the things that we do. Not for eternal cleansing, but for relational cleansing. Because when we sin, when we break God's commandments as Christians, it does it. It, it doesn't break the relationship with God, but it does begin to push it to the side a little bit. You see, the farther we walk away from Jesus, even when we know the right thing to do, the farther we go, the, the more distance there is in that relationship. Think of a married couple and Sometimes there may be a distance. If they don't love each other, there's a distance that grows. So as we sin, there's a distance. And so, in 1 John chapter 1, you can turn there if you like. 1 John chapter 1, 7 through 9. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see that there. Cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we are cleansed by His blood, and then in this life we are cleansed from our continual sin when we ask for forgiveness. And so it's there that this relationship is kept strong. But I see it sometimes. People think that they have to keep coming forward some people think they have to keep getting baptized. They have to keep saying the sinner's prayer. No, listen. When you believed, we are secure in Jesus Christ. We are secure. If you truly believed in your heart, you and I are secure. But we still need His cleansing. I don't know about you, but I need his cleansing daily. 
And so Jesus is teaching his disciples about this. But then I also, again, I, I want you to see what's happening here. He says, listen, but there's one of you, there's one of you that's not clean. Who's he talking about there? Judas. He's saying, you're clean, but not every one of you. Because he knew that Judas was going to betray him. Think about all that's happening there. Think about what Jesus has done. He showed a deep, sacrificial love by taking the form of a servant to wash their feet. And then in just a few days, Jesus is going to give his life. He's going to shed his blood. He's going to be brutally executed for us. This is love. Say, listen, this is love. You can't die on a cross for sins, but you can wash feet. You can serve. And next week, we're going to look at what this life of service will look like. But I want you this morning to think about the cross. Think about what Jesus has done for you. Think about all that, all that He has cleansed you from. Consider your sin. Consider your unrighteousness. And Jesus did that for you. Did you deserve it? No. Did you earn it? No. It is solely... By the work of Christ. And when we believe in Him, we can experience that cleansing. I mean, think about Judas. Judas had done all the religious things. I mean, surely Judas had done some good things in his ministry, right? Sure he had. Did Judas do nice things for people? I'm sure he did. I mean, Judas was with Jesus. But he didn't truly believe, did he? And so the, the warning for us is that you and I can do all the religious things. I mean, again, you could be like Judas and do nice things. But if you and I don't believe in our heart, if we don't trust in our heart, we can never experience and know that redemptive love of Jesus Christ. Have you truly believed what Jesus has done? Have you experienced his cleansing? And if that answer is yes, then the other question is this. If you experienced his cleansing, do you live a life of sacrificial love? Do I live a life of sacrificial love? Because once we say we believe Jesus, then now we ought to live sacrificially. Do you love people sacrificially? Not the ones who earn it, not the ones that deserve it, but all people do you love. Jesus said, listen, this is what you're going to do. He's going to tell us, you're going to do this to show your love. If you say you love Jesus, it shows in our works. 
We're not saved by our works, but we show our salvation by our works. Who have you served? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the great salvation that's found through your Son. Father, I ask this morning that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that's never believed, never trusted in Christ for their salvation, never been cleansed from their sin, Lord, I pray that you would speak to their hearts. Lord, may you show them what it means to follow your son. Lord, may you do a work. Lord, if there's anyone here, or maybe others that listen online, whatever it may be, God, may you stir our hearts. But Father, for those who have believed, those that have trusted in Jesus, Lord, show us the areas in our life that we don't show sacrificial love. Do we sacrificially love those that are close to us? Our family and friends. Even that is hard, Lord, and we struggle in that because selfishness is so present. Lord, do we love our church, our fellow believers well? Lord, do we love our enemies? So Lord, I pray that you would teach us, begin this work in our heart, and as as we gather again next week and, and finish this idea of service, I pray that, Lord, we would come with a desire to grow in sacrificial love. So Lord, may you help us, may you speak to us in this moment. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.